Amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapters continuing in the series we started on Easter called Hero. And uh, we started this two weeks ago. Jeremy also added to that message series last Sunday. So this is the third message in that series titled Hero. Think for just a second, who is a hero that you would say uh, stands out to you in your life? Just kind of think about that person for just a moment. Don't call their name out, but just think about who would you say to a you per member, maybe it's an acquaintance somewhere that you kind of cross paths with that really stepped into a need. You don't really know them that well, but... But you would say they were a hero to you at some rate or someone who kind of taught you through a crisis. Maybe it was uh, someone that you see on TV. Maybe it's a public figure, an inspirational uh, uh, figure, someone along those lines, an author or a speaker. Really for most, who is a hero for you? And when you think about that person, I, I, would, I would be willing to say that probably for most in this room that are thinking of someone specifically, that that person, hero for being thought of right now, one is that they probably have some sense of like a you know, moral excellence in their life. They, they, they live life kind of above and beyond. They, they have a sense of courage in their life. Give of themselves to help another. Maybe that's what they did when they were a hero to you. They gave of themselves. They kind of set themselves aside and they gave of themselves. But I would say another common thread that runs need was in your life at the moment. And, and they stepped into it and they, 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 uh, they brought their resources and they brought their skills and they brought their heart, right? And, and they brought some level of them randomly as somewhat of a hero in your life. You know, for all of us, we can think of people that fill that, that role. In this series, what we've been seeing is that the Bible actually is filled with it, and they, they were morally excellent. They were, they were kind of above and beyond, in a sense, not, not you know, more than human, but they live life right, with a different agenda. They live life with a different set of values. They, they were correct. An entire group of people's need. They stepped in, and they filled this role of hero. And the, these stories, they resonate with us. Right? They, they, they strike a chord with it to fill that role for us. But what we see every, is that in every single victory story we read of in the Bible, we're going to see one of the most popular ones today. Every single one of those stories, God is the ultimate hero. God <laughs> is the ultimate hero of every victory story in the Bible. But on the other side of the coin, he also used someone who submitted to him that he ultimately used as his way. This person, they're such a hero. David was a hero. Esther was a hero. Uh, And we name all these different people in the Bible. Behind them, however, God was the ultimate hero. We're going to see that today. Be sure to check it out. But one of the things that he mentioned was that all of us have the opportunity to be a hero, right? Every single one of us can be a hero to someone else. And the ultimate reason for that is because Jesus rose again. He rose again from the dead. And because of our relationship with him, you have the opportunity. Every single one of you. There's not one person occupied a seat in this room today who can say, I'm a hero to someone else. And I believe in a way God desires us to do that, not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look at me, a hero to somebody else, right? When we love others, when we love our neighbor as ourselves, when we ultimately put ourselves out there to be used by God in whatever way he desires. When we read of these hero stories in the Bible, include the one today, level of some supernatural gift somewhere. These were ordinary people who had their flaws, they had their hangups, they needed a savior but God used them, and he did his rescue work ultimately through most popular stories in all the Bible. I think the most popular verse is John three sixteen. I think maybe the most popular story is the one we're going to see today. A few principles as we move through this, because even though there is an overarching principle that God is the hero, and he wants us to be heroes as well as he does his work through us, there are some principles in this, a few more principles than normal today. Um, but, uh, but, but remember, the ultimate goal of this message this morning is to realize that God is the hero of this story. Because the true story of David versus Goliath is more about God than it is about David. 
We tend to read this story and we go away. You were a little kid if you were raised in church at all when your um, Sunday school teacher would throw that flannel graph image up there of David on that felt board and David would have his staff and Goliath in there. He's like so much bigger than David on that felt board, almost goes off the top of the felt board there. Whenever you see these images and, and that Sunday school teacher would play out a hero of the Bible. And it would often be so much about him. And even today as adults, when we come to the story, we tend to make it either all about David or all about some story in all the Bible because people who have no idea that it's even in the Bible are familiar with the story for a number of different reasons. They use this story... And whether it be in business or whether it be in the sporting world, right, this story is used by people without even knowing it's a story about the Bible and having no idea that it's this world. In the sports world, whenever there's a, 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 you know, this, this, this message that wants to be communicated by the leader of the meeting or the boss or the coach or whoever it is, Sometimes they'll refer to them today. Well, we need greater productivity. We need to cut our costs. We need to slay these giants, right? And they're telling the story without even knowing it's a story about God. Or there's a coach, and sure, his team hasn't won in eight years, right? But it's like, we're going to go in there, and we're going to defeat the giant. We're going to overcome the odds. It's just David versus Goliath, right? Not even nothing it is about a giant. In reality, this is a true story, right? This is a story with a real historical setting in the midst of a real historical period in Israel's God was ultimately going to bail them out. And what we're going to see here in this setting is that God did Exactly that. And he taught a lot of lessons, not only to Israel, to, but to us. People called the Philistines are at odds, so they're about to go to battle. Now, the Philistines had been long running enemies of Israel. When you read through the Old Testament of Israel, the, the, the Philistines, even all the way back in Exodus 13, when God would lead Israel out of Egyptian slavery, we're going all the way back to the Red Sea. When God made a river from the Philistines so that the Israelites would not get engaged with, in war. The Philistines were a warmongering people. They were incredibly aggressive. They were very good. And they were one of the first, if not the first, to implement iron weaponry. They were just more advanced. And they, were, they didn't mind a fight. And they were really good. And they usually won. They had their own gods that they were comfortable with. And they didn't plan to bow to the one true living God. So what we find here, the setting in 1 Samuel chapter 17, is that within shouting distance are the Philistines. They are prepared for battle. And what you're going to find here is that the battle, let's look at verse 4. Let, let's, let's jump in here. We're not going to read every single verse. This is a lengthy chapter of Scripture. We're going to pull out the ones, I think, that help us to follow the flow. So it says that a champion, mark that word, a champion, came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. Gath would have been part of the region of uh, so it says that Goliath was a champion. Now, I think what that can mean is <laughs> he was a killing machine. I mean, this man, was, we can believe is how it says it, uh, in height. Now, we don't know exactly how long a cubit was. Most theologians believe that it was the span from your elbow to the tip of your middle. Goliath could have been anywhere from roughly seven to about nine to nine and a half feet tall, regardless 
He was much bigger and he was much more imposing. Even if we don't know at all how big of a cubit is, we can tell his size based on what we read next, verse 5 through verse 7. It says, he had a bronze helmet on his head. He was clothed with his legs, a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. The head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His pounds of armor, a 30-pound spear. The man with the easiest job in all of the Philistine nation had to be the armor bearer of Goliath, right? Because, I mean, after all, who's going to want anything to do with this? I mean, on one side of the valley across from the people of Israel. And as you would expect, not only was he a giant in stature, it says he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel. This would be across the valley. No magnification of voice needed, all right? He shouted to the ranks of Israel, and you servants of Saul, Saul would have been the king of Israel at this time. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to fight me. If he's able to fight with me, come kill me, servants, and serve us. Now, now what we see here is interesting. Verse 10, it begins to kind of put a little bit of the, the response to it together. It says, again, the Philistines said, I decided like a representative battle. Now, this would have been more customary, obviously, back in those days than today, where one man representing a nation would go up against another man representing the opposite. More than likely, my thought is, is that the Philistines knew that they were so much more heavily armed. Again, this is the period where they were more advanced with their weaponry, with half iron assumed, that when we roll this giant out here, this killing machine, decked out in armor and decked out in his weapons that they are going to cower and they are just going to throw in the towel. Goliath does exactly that, representative of the Philistines. He looks over the whole entire Israelite army and he begins to talk his trash and he begins to tell whoever wants to come fight me, come and fight me. This passage later tells us for 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath would do this routine and he would go out there uh, every morning. They'd run in fear. All right, what time? It's about evening time. Goliath, there he comes, talk his trash. Ah! And then they run in fear. 40 days, 40 nights, we're going to sit with himself available to fight. Just bring yourself forward. We'll get this on right here, right now. Now, somewhere in that time, David comes to the battlefield. Who is David, 15 to 19? He's a teenager, uh, kind of on the, the, the latter end of his teen years. Uh, he is a shepherd. He works for his dad, his father, Jesse. And uh, as a shepherd, he would have been accustomed to certain events that would unfold out in the field where he would have to protect the flocks, right? We're going to see some of that here in just a little bit. And so David is coming to the battlefield, Saul's army, David, Saul's army. <laughs> He's got three older brothers that are, that are part of Saul's army. David comes to the battlefield. He's bringing, now, now remember, you got to get 21st century warfare out of your mind, okay? This is, this is different era, different place, different people, different time. Different, different part of history. So he comes to the battlefield and he brings like certain supplies, like food items to the commander and to check on the brothers. By the way, let me just say, we see war taking place in your day, right? You didn't usually get live phone reports from the midst of battle as we do today, right? So David shows up. He brings the food to, the, to his brothers, to the commander. He checks on his brothers at his father's request. And while David shows up, what happens is that Goliath, so David is his daily taunt. Let's go, let's go down to verse 23. So David is, he's talking. Uh, he's shown up on the scene 
The Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. Same routine. David shows up, he's got this plate of food for his brothers and his commander, and he's, he's, he's kind of getting updates there, he's having conversation, boom, and comes David hears it. But here's the thing, where all of Israel saw Goliath as taunting Israel, David in a much different way. Israel saw the primary issue as a military issue. David saw it as a spiritual issue. Look at what it says. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. This is what Saul's going to do. And uh, make your father's house free in Israel. Right? Israel saw this as this man is defying our nation. Verse 26, then David spoke to them. For who is this uncircumcised? Israel saw the issue military. In nature, David saw it as spiritual in nature. Principle number spiritual issues first. Don't miss that. We have a real tendency to compartmentalize issues of the faith and to separate them from all the other issues of life. So that whenever we face a marital issue or a relational issue, we never stop to think that or an emotional issue. We never really stop to think that, you know what, maybe this is a spiritual issue first. And what I mean by this is uh, financial issues, emotional issues, whatever they may be in your life, the reason those are often spiritual issues first is because they typically always have something to do with either not seeking God, not applying his truth to the circumstance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, we're not getting along in our relationship. You know, just always at odds. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, at each other, things. Well, maybe that's a spiritual issue first. I mean, how are things with the Lord in your life, number one? It doesn't mean that people who are right with God don't have marital issues or relational issues. It doesn't mean that at all. But, but are both your needs before your own needs? Are you doing the things that Scripture says? Are you accomplishing the things spiritually that God desires? Because often what happens is when the spiritual house is in order, much of the spiritual issue. Israel steps up to the side of the valley. They see Goliath militarily. We can never beat that man. We're in fear. We're never going to make it. David steps up. And he said, and it's almost with this. Do you not trust the God who split the sea? Do you not trust the God who's brought you to this place? Do you not trust the God who has delivered to you? Not looking at this. In verse 32, we find is, is David's hero moment. Verse 32, look at what it says here. So David said to Saul, he goes to the king of Israel, your servant, meaning I, will go and fight with this Philistine. Principle number three, this is something else that stands out in this passage. There's so many others we could, we could look at, but to chaos. Remember, God is the ultimate hero of every single victory story, right? Every single one, including this one. He also desires us to use us as a demonstration of him as hero. And if we're going to do that, right, when you thought of someone who was a hero to you, that person stepped into some area of chaos in your life, and they brought rescue. And in the same way, you cannot be a hero to someone else without stepping into, but stepping into the chaos. Now that may mean in your family, that may mean in your community, that may mean in your country, more than likely it's going to mean in somebody, right? And God's going to want to use you to step in with a spiritual mindset, with his truth, understanding what his way is, what his way is to old man. 
That's what he did. I mean, chaos unfolds, finds a, finds a phone booth, and boom, it's on from there. <laughs> you can't be a hero without stepping into chaos in general. Is that we're much more comfortable in here than we are where the chaos ensues. Right? We're much more comfortable with our little prey stepping into the messiness of another person's life to help them and to serve them and to put them ahead of ourselves and to help point them to Jesus and to help lead them through. Much more comfortable in here than we are out there to our chaos at times to help us. David, would have, he couldn't win this battle from a distance across the valley. He would have to step into the chaos. He would have to. And he missed the ultimate hero of every written story in the Bible. I'm going to summarize some of what happens next in this passage of Scripture. Saul basically says to him, you can't do this, you're just a kid. That's kind of the summary of it. And has killed both the lion and the bear. He's talking about as a, as a shepherd, right? God had prepared him for this moment. Your servant, David says, I have killed God. The lion, verse 37, and David said, the Lord who delivered me, right? He's not saying it's all about me. I'm up for the challenge. I can do this. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the Paul, David, go and may the Lord be with you. Well, Saul tries to fit David in his own armor, and he tries to put his own personal armor on David. David says, this isn't ever going to work. I tell you what, anybody kind of reminds you of Gideon, right, further back in the Old Testament, when, when God whittled Gideon's army down from thousands to just uh, 300, so that when the victory came, everyone would know, it. I've got a sling, and i got five stones I'm going to find. I'll fill this, fill this pouch with them, and I'll be good to go. And when David goes out and Goliath begins to talk his trash to David, the Philip, <clears throat> David points to God. Look at verse 44. The Philistine said to David, come to me. Pretty good trash talk right there. <laughs> imagine imagine you're, uh, you're driving your car. Imagine they pull over, they come to your window. You're like, roll your window down. It's kind of old school car, right? Roll your window down. <laughs> And imagine they say to you, birds of the sky and to the beasts of the field. You know what I do? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is some serious trap. David's like, hey, this is where he is. Don't go to this story and say, look at the hero that David is. Yes, he's a hero only because he let God the Look at what David says in verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, Remember, all the other Israelites would cower in fear, run away whenever they heard this talk. David says, you come to me with a sword, a you've taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. I will strike you down. I will remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines that there's a God in Israel. That's why this is going to happen. Verse 47, and all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the bearer thought when this was going down across the valley. He's probably thinking, this is about to be on right here, right? Because where Goliath talked, and it's not about him, and it's not about what he can do, it's about him being willing to step into the chaos that surrounded his whole entire country only because he chaos. At this point, he is firmly committed. How does it all end? Verse 48, you know how the story ends. Then it happened when the Philistines rose, when the Philistine rose and came and drew the Philistine. He's like booking it. Like, this, this is about to all happen right here. 
Verse 49, David put his hand into his bag, took from it a stone, and he Thus David peed on his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath, and he killed him, and he cut off his head with it. Some of you would say, that sounds so violent. What in the world is war doing in the Bible? Understand, these were people who defied God. They ultimately were enemies of God. This was the judgment who took it for us. (laughs) Later in David's life, he'll march. But David had to know deep in his heart. And if you were to ask him, David, who's the hero here? He would have to say, oh, it's not me, it's him. Why? Because God had chosen him before the flock. God had prepared him. God had ultimately enabled him. God gave him the resources that he needed and ultimately went with him so that when the moment came to, it, it's, it's, uh, he was confident, he stepped into the chaos because he knew what God had called him to do. And an entire nation had victory. And made hard to find chaos in this world. You don't have to go far at all. In fact, I'd be willing to say if you just pause for 30 seconds and think about people, think, you're going to think of people who are in the midst of chaos and they need, they need some help. They need some rescue. And it's not about us saying, oh, look, I stepped in. I helped this person. I helped this, uh, the, the, this person. In fact, I think principle number four may be the most important principle of all, perhaps. Principle number four, our role in the midst of all of this, when we look at this story, our role is to just simply demonstrate the heroic. There are people in your life, there are people in your circles of influence that need to see God. They need, to, they, they need help. They need rescue. And we can't sit back and say, let somebody else do it or call the church that just somehow mechanically makes everything happen. It's people who step into chaos just like this, right? We got students in our student ministry. Those who are leaders kind of move on. They graduate, right? And, and, and we've got new students that come in ultimately to take their place. I'm sure Eric, our student pastor, would love to have more say. If you've, if you've got uh, above your shoulders, if you've got any level of gray that has taken root or you're trying to hide or that is beginning to kind of creep in, you would. I'm not going to say you're old. I'm just going to say you've been there. Okay? And if you've known Jesus for long, you've seen him do an awful lot in your life. And he has, is through has, but are willing to say, I see the battle and I step into the chaos and here I am. I don't bring a lot, my own sling and a stone. But Lord, I know I'm not the hero to begin with. It's only you, so use me as you will. We take one huge step away from ineffectiveness in our walk with God. And when we take that big step of ineffect towards ineffectiveness in our walk with God, we make a difference in the lives around us for the sake of the gospel. That's what David did. He would go on to reign. Things, if he could hit the do-over button, he would. He couldn't, and he lived with the consequences, but we're still telling stories about him today, 3,000 years later. The way David did. And have you come to that place where you would be able to even say, I have a relationship with God to begin with. Because you've laid down your sin, fully man, invited him to forgive and to take over your life. If you've never done that, let's don't worry about being a hero that God uses, right? Right where you sit to say, Jesus, would you forgive and save even me? And he'll do it. Let's pray. Grow in our walk with you. Thank you that these stories such as David versus Goliath are stories about you. 
And Lord, yes, David, feel hero quality, your desire to rescue. He let you demonstrate that through his life. And Lord, that's what you desire still today. You want us to make ourselves available. And with each of these stories, they remind us that you want to use us in the same way or in ways that are similar. Lord, we may not slay any giants, literally. We may not set a whole nation free, literally. Use us to demonstrate your love and your grace and your hope and your power and your rescue in their lives. Lord, as we make ourselves available to serve and to love vitality and that mindset as a church, that necessity. For those who don't know Christ, that even today, Lord, that they would see that necessity of yielding their lives to Jesus. And so, Lord, thank you for what you do through the life that's yielded to you. Lord, give us courage as David had to take you at your word, that we know that where you lead, you always take care of the details. And so, God, help us to help us to pray.